Now, I remember I was a teenager, and I put on a nice pair of khaki pants, a nice button-down shirt, and some dress shoes because I had to go to court. You may, have, may, you may have never had that experience. Now, um, I was going to court because I was going to see the Honorable Judge Lynn Tepper over in Pinellas County doing what she does best. Um, she just recently retired, but she was, a, she was a phenomenal judge that looked out for justice. And I remember seeing um, the defendant when my judge pronounced the words, not guilty. The sigh of relief. The sigh of, I'm okay. Hear these words. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're working through the book of Romans over the summer, and this is, if you, if you had to say, what is the kind of central point where everything hinges, the, the hinges to this door, or to this whole book of Romans, it's, it's probably chapter 8. And I love verse 1 of chapter 8. That's the hinge itself. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's two propositions that I want to bring to you today from this passage. One is that life in the Spirit is without blame, and that life in the Spirit is without blemish. Without blame and without blemish. Charles Williams, who was an influential writer and was part of what's called the Inklings in Oxford, uh, his novels influenced two novelists who you may have read. Uh, One guy's name was John Ronald Royal Tolkien, and the other one was C.S. Lewis. You may not be familiar with Charles Williams, but he influenced both of their writings. And he wrote a novel called The Place of the Lion. And in it, there's this one character who looks at another character and says, oh, that was very good of you. And then he pauses and he says, "Uh, or good in you. How accurate one has to be with one's prepositions. Perhaps it was a preposition wrong that set the whole world awry. So I want to look at two prepositions, one in verse 1 of uh, Romans chapter 8 and one in verse 4. So if you have your insert, go look at that. We're going to be looking through the whole of verses 1 through 11, but we're looking specifically at verses 1 and verse 11. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's we are blameless because we are in Christ Jesus. The second thing we're going to look at is that we are without blemish. And here's what it says in verse 4. In order that the the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Christ, according to the Spirit. In Christ. Now, here's the thing. The beauty of how this whole thing works. And I, and I love how Paul is writing his whole treatise about, about what it means to be in Christ. The, the technical term that you'd have here is there's justification and sanctification. But just think of it, in Christ and according to the Spirit. In Christ. Now, there's a variety of worldviews that, that have two main questions they look at. Uh, why is the world the way that it is? And how can we make a triumph of this world? Or how can we make this world make sense? Why is the world the way that it is? 
How do we make triumph over it? A lot of them will tell you, okay, the world is not the way that it should be. It's broken. It's not functioning fully well. But if we do X, Y, or Z, or if we think X, Y, or Z, or if we uh, do X, Y, or Z, or even if we feel X, Y, and Z, then the world will be the way that it should be. But you see, that's we're trying to put the cart before the horse. You see, you might have even heard some people say, oh, there's, there's relationship, or there's relationship, or there's relation, and there's religion. And those are two different things. Actually, there is no such animal. All religions are about relation. The question is, how does this basis of relationship happen? What do I mean by that? So, for example, if I think the right things, then I'll have peace. If I do the right things, then everything will run correctly. But that's putting the cart before the horse. Paul starts by saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me offer this to you, okay? In our American justice system, we have this beautiful uh, idea, which is that you are innocent until proven guilty. There's other ones that say, there's other systems that say you're guilty until proven innocent. Thank God we don't live in that kind of justice system, right? It's like, prove me, prove to me that you're actually not bad. We start from the default of you're innocent until proven guilty. But what's astounding is that no American judge and no American jury will ever declare you innocent. They will only say not guilty. Why? Why is that? Why is that our system is built that way? Well, I mean, in our criminal system, the idea is that um, we, we need to go beyond reasonable doubt to prove you guilty. Or we need to go beyond reasonable doubt to prove you not guilty, but that means there might be a chance that you still might be a bad egg. Now, if I told you that I was going to make you a, a wonderful omelet, and, I, and as I'm cracking them, I put five eggs in, and that's good, and then the sixth egg is a bad egg, and then I stirred it all together, and you got your five good eggs, that one rotten egg, would it still be a good omelet? No. Even if there's that beyond reasonable doubt, there's still that little bit that... So even our justice system, we're admitting that, that we as human beings can't declare other human beings to be innocent. We can say, at best, not guilty. But I love that. Paul says, no, no, no. That's not how, that's not how God works. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He declares us innocent. I love that. Think about that. Innocent. Now, if you're wondering, like, I'll give you a, a, lay, a lay person's way of understanding justification. And it's a, a play on word that works really well in English. It doesn't work in other languages, but who cares? Justified, right? Justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. Think about that. Turn to the person next to you and go, you're justified. And I'm justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. You're innocent. Your record has been expunged. It's a declaration before you've even done anything. I mean, think about this, right? Think about the old story of the Exodus, right? When does God give them the law and tell them, I want you to behave a certain way? Does he give them the Ten Commandments and say, follow these, then I'll get you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage? No. 
He rescues them, declares them to be his covenant people, and then on Sinai, after he's made them his covenant people and made a covenant with them, he then says, oh, by the way, here's the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, do this, then I'll get you out. He says, I get you out, then you can respond. We always respond to grace. It's not the other way around. You don't do things to get God's favor. You have his favor, and then that's why we respond to do that. You're justified. There's now no condemnation for those who are in. Now, you might say, oh, that's very exclusive. I don't like that idea. Here's the thing. John 3.16, one of our offertory sentences, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that means whosoever means whosoever. It's this free offer to everyone. All you got to say is yes. It's a great offer. Why wouldn't you want it? Why don't you want to be innocent, declared, declared clean before him? That's the whosoever. So it, 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 we may say, oh, that sounds very exclusive. No, it sounds like the most inclusive thing ever. Whoever is in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. They are new creation. We say those words if you ever say uh, noonday prayer. So we are in Christ Jesus. We are without blame. I mean, think about it. Words created this universe. Words spun this, all the planets into being. The, the big bang of the universe wasn't just that some weak forces and strong forces start interacting, but God said, you know what? I want light. And words have power. Think about how words act in our own lives, which brings to my second point, without blemish. I remember I was um, doing some counseling with someone, re and, um, and this person was recounting a story that they had as a child. Um, they'd done their first uh, spelling test ever. And they come home to their dad and they say, Dad, look, I got nine out of ten. And their dad said, but you got one wrong. Now, you may say, well, it's nine out of ten, not too bad, 90%. But those words stuck with them for quite a while. And it depends on your personality. It, I mean, you may have a perfectionist personality, and what do those words do? They're going to drive you into overdrive. Maybe you have a different personality, which is the moment that someone says something that crosses your will, you'll do what I kind of do, like, oh, great. I'm going to do the opposite of what you said. Great. Oh. Hmm. You don't get overdrive. You get apathy from me. So the same words that can drive you to overdrive can also drive you to just absolute apathy. And they're, they're, they're the same, they're just two sides of the same coin. Words that created the universe are words that can also destroy us. I heard a preacher once say that, you know, you've heard the saying, right? Um, uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But actually the quote is, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words pollute, distort, and destroy my soul forever. Think about that. I mean, think about that, what we just read about the parable of the sower, right? It says the seed is the word of God. And the word brings life and change. Words bring life. There's power in the tongue. Jesus declaring us innocent changes us. Let's us puts us without blemish. I mean, think about the story in John chapter 8. 
of the woman who's caught in adultery. She's caught in sin. And what does Jesus lovingly do and say? He says to her, where are those that condemn you? She looks around and they're not around. It's the same word, condemnation. Well, if they're not here, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. I I love that paradox because he's not saying, okay, it's totally fine, not a big deal. He's saying, yeah, that's, that's a big deal, but I forgive you. To have words of forgiveness spoken over you radically changes you. And that's what brings us to the second point, without blemish, right? In chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. Oftentimes, I, I, I go and do hospital visits, and if, if I have time or if I've planned it, I, I walk in in clericals. But if, if it's one of those ones where it's just popped into the calendar and I need to do it and I'm not wearing clericals, I'll go in, you know, and no one even notices you're a priest because you're just, you know, wearing just civilian clothes, I guess. But when I'm wearing that, it's interesting. I get two kind of reactions. Either people absolutely want you to come and pray for them or they're absolutely saying, no, please do not see me. I've just ridden with guilt. But the whole point is this, is that I remember doing a visit once and, you know, I was visiting a parishioner and then on the other hand, there was a roommate of theirs and the roommate was like, can you pray for me too? I got some baggage, but, but I'd like you to speak that same forgiveness when you anointed them with oil and said that, that I'm forgiven, that I'm clean and that I'm free. That You said to them, can you say that over me? Can you declare those words? Jesus declares us clean and righteous, and then he empowers us by giving us his spirit according to the spirit there in verse 4. According to the spirit. See, before that, Paul was saying, I was, I was unable to live a perfect life. I, I knew I was always getting a, like, not even just like 9 out of 10. I mean, here's the thing. If, if I were to like draw a little bar graph and say, okay, where would you place yourself, right? If, if, Zero being like Hitler, right? You know, or Stalin, right? And 10 being Mother Teresa. Where would you place yourself on that little bar? Like, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm a priest, right? Maybe a six, right? You know, <laughs> six out of 10. Okay, you know, where would you place yourself? Like, you know, I mean, some of y'all like eight, nine, right? I'm like, I'm a two, okay. But the point is like, we often think of good in those terms, right? But St. Paul says, there's no one righteous, not even one. St. Paul's actually quoting Isaiah. But what he's saying is it's not like Hitler and Mother Teresa. He's saying that when you talk about like the standard for what is right and wrong is looking like Jesus. You look like Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, that can be crushing. Or it can be the most amazing and liberating thing ever. Because you see, if that's like where Hitler is and this is Mother Teresa, but then, see, where's Jesus in this scale? He's not like a 20 or even a 100. He's not even like in a million. He's like a magnitude of infinity above Mother Teresa. But the whole point is, by the power of the Spirit, united with Christ, guess what you get to do? 
you get to be Jesus with skin on for everybody you run into in the line at Publix, when you run into someone or they run into you in your car. You get to be Jesus with skin on. I mean, I remember when my, when my daughter was a little bit younger and, you know, sometimes she couldn't sleep at night and you say, oh, I'll come in, I'll pray for you. You know, it's all right. And then and I say, okay, I'm going to go back to bed. She's like, no, no, but, 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 you know, can you stay with me? I'm like, no, Jesus is with you. He's always with you. And then obviously cheekily she says, well, I need Jesus with skin on, Dad. <laughs> the point is, is that we need that eminence. We need that ability of God to be always with us. Jesus, in Matthew 28, he says, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. That's why we're in this season after Pentecost. The season where God gives us his Holy Spirit. Like, it's, it's in the adjective of his name, right? Holy Spirit. What, what's his main job? To make us holy. That's why I, I have this one friend who's a priest, and every time he gets up to speak, he goes... Good morning, saints. And I'm like, why do you say saints? It's so weird. He's like, well, yeah, because you're all saints. Did you know that? But the, the beauty of our, our particular worldview compared to others is that we actually can admit that we're wrong. We have confession absolution. You, in fact, there's, uh, I know some people that, don't even, that aren't even, they're atheists, and they actually are more moral than I am. You know why? Because my worldview has a space for that, to say that actually, I know I'm broken, I know I'm flawed, I know I'm failed, but I know someone who isn't, someone who gives me his perfection. That's what God the Holy Spirit does. But how do we get this? If we're in Christ and according to the Spirit, how do we get this? And it comes here from verse 3. God has done what the law was not able to do. Because in sending his own Son... He condemned sin to death. In the words of Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, he says, this is what justification is. It's the just judge judged in our stead. You see, in our American system, we have a thing called double jeopardy. We can't try you for something that you've already been tried for. And, and I remember I used to struggle with this because it's, it's one of our opening sentences for confession absolution. Um, if we claim to have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. That's 1 John, uh, verses, uh, 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. And I used to think, oh, he's faithful and just. Well, that means that Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And you're like, hey, Peter screwed up again. Can you just let him off the hook? He did that again. Can you just let him off the hook? He's, he's kind of silly. That's, that was kind of my worldview for a while. But that's not what John's saying in 1 John 5.10. That's not what Paul's saying in Romans 8.1. There's now no condemnation. Because here's what he's saying. This, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, from the old right one comfortable words. Jesus Christ the advocate. Here's what he's doing. He's not going, let him off the hook. He's not a bad defense attorney. He's the best defense attorney you've ever had. And here's how he's building his case before the Father. He says, Dad... You know that numbskull Peter? He is a numbskull. But you know why there's no condemnation? Because I paid it. There's no double jeopardy. If I paid it and you declared me guilty, he's therefore declared 
innocent. For God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so, if Jesus had this perfect relationship with the Father, and then all of a sudden that perfect relationship with all of our sin and all our guilt is left on him, where does that leave us? Nothing but an unimpaired relationship with the Father, which is why we'll get to next week, why we can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Justification leads to sanctification. And next week, we're going to look at the idea of adoption, why we can call him Father. But today, hear those words that Jesus heard spoken over him in the Jordan. And we're going to have a time for prayer ministry. And I love this. It, it, some translations, it says there's no condemnation. But there is, a, there is a word there that some translations don't put. It says there's now no condemnation. In the words of Octavius Winslow, who was a, an Anglican priest from about 120 years ago, the simple belief of this fact brings instant peace to our hearts. A present discharge from condemnation must produce a present joy. So one of the things we like to do here at this church is to offer prayers for healing and wholeness. Um, we anoint you with oil. Um, and so we'll have prayer ministers available to my left, your right, and, and they would just love to pray, to speak good words over you. Perhaps you've had bad words spoken over you. Perhaps you've had a boss or a spouse or a significant other speak words of condemnation. Jesus wants to speak those words. He wants you to hear the words that he heard his father speak over him. Just like I said, the people of Israel were, were freed from slavery before they'd ever lifted a finger. They didn't have to fulfill the commandments. Jesus heard these words before he is three years of earthly ministry. Before he'd ever done a thing for the father, he hears his father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And maybe you just want someone to agree with you on that, to pray those words over you. So what we do is um, after communion, we, during, as some of the music is playing, you can come over to our prayer ministers to my left, your right. They will anoint you with oil. They'll pray with you. They'll agree with you to, so that you can hear those amazing words. So Father, we thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that because of your son's death, his burial, and his resurrection, we now have access to that resurrected life, to live that life to the full and share your goodness with everyone else. And we ask this all in Christ's precious and strong name. Amen.